Good morning. How's everybody doing? I, uh, I too want to welcome you this morning to the second Sunday of Advent. And uh, also I'll make a plug. If you haven't already, we have a, still have a few more of those faith-filled holiday packets. I want to encourage you to uh, stop by the Faith at Home Center and grab one of those because in those, uh, in there, there is uh, recipe cards for the Advent season to uh, do Advent uh, each week. And so like this week, our family, we lit the first Advent candle, that hope candle, and we talked about Advent. And, you know, I, I love uh, Advent and just the idea of that anticipation. And, you know, and certainly uh, the Advent season brings with us with it that that sense of anticipation. But the other thing that I uh, found as I was looking at that word Advent is it also speaks of the idea of the arrival of something prominent or something special. Think of, um, you know, the advent of the computer age, that kind of an advent, right? And, and so, uh, you know, in, in many sense, in, in many ways, this uh, Christmas season, uh, we celebrate that advent, of course, being the, or that arrival being, of course, the arrival of, of Christ. But uh, as you saw in those three pictures, we have some other uh, arrivals that have been pretty special. And, and so uh, I'm going to take advantage of being up here and tell you about one more arrival. This is my number six grandchild. Uh, she is, uh, yes, Canon Moana Olson. And I forgot to mention this last time, so I should say that. The middle name is also my sister Becca's middle name. So, you know, special for a lot of reasons. Um, Okay, enough with that. So let's go back. Let's get on with, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the call of Christmas. And this week I get to talk about uh, the call to trust. And, you know, when you, when you think of that word trust, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, word. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting word to, to try to teach. I remember when uh, Malia and Timo and Dejan first came to be a part of our family and they didn't have English. And so we're trying to teach them the English language. There were some things that were easy because you could point at a table and say table, or you could say, you know, eat, or, you know, point to the bathroom. Those were easy. But try, when you have no English, to explain something like honesty, right? Or integrity. Well, trust is one of those kinds of words because, I mean, trust has a lot of components to it. I mean, who do you trust? What do you trust? When do you trust? Why do you trust, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that go into this word trust. How many of you have ever done a trust fall? Anybody ever done a trust fall? Well, the other night, Caleb asked me to come and do a, you know, a little icebreaker team building kind of thing for his uh, student ministries uh, leaders. And, and so I decided to do that. I wish you could have seen it because I had them do a trust fall. Actually, we videoed it, so maybe we will let you see it. And this is, I want you to catch on this, okay, that in this uh, video, this is uh, Tara Poncho. Sorry, Tara. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't want you to miss her reaction when she figures out why I have her on this counter. Here you go. Now look, all you should do, what's that? No. All you should do 
on turn. We're gonna go one, two, three, and you just fall down. Well, well, wait for the three. We're gonna go one, two, three, so get ready. Come on, come on, guys. Trust me. Look into the camera. Tell me, tell the camera what you're thinking right now. We won't let you fall. You guys, right here. All right. We got you, Doug. All right, stand up, stand up. Stand up. On three. Now listen, don't no bending the knees. Just fall straight back. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. So when you look up the word trust, it says reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety of a person or thing. Confidence, right? And so Tara, in essence, she had to have reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety of her fellow leaders. Confidence. Of course, it helped that her dad was one of those leaders, and you know, I'm sure she realized that her dad's not going to let her uh, let them drop her. Uh, another example is how many of you have ever been on a ropes course? Anybody ever been on a ropes course? Well, if you're in youth ministry long enough, you'll eventually be on a ropes course, okay? Uh, and I spent many years in, in youth ministry, and I can tell you, honestly, I've spent hours in the trees, off the ground, on ropes courses. And I used to take my uh, football players from Clover Park, and we would go up there, and, you know, these guys are all, you know, they're young and cocky, and, you know, they're all week long, they're just talking up a storm, and, you know, they're just, they got the, you know, the world by the tail and and they, and they are brave guys I'm like you know take them down a dark alley and no problem you know they're they're brave and confident uh, but you know the, I remember that even the mornings when we'd go to the ropes course you know they'd be just talking away talking 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 until we got them hooked up on the harness and put them off the ground and then all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden all that bravado was gone and you know there was a tragic story several years ago uh, about a leader and one of his guys. Because here's the thing, when I would talk to my guys and, and ask them about, you know, the ropes course and why, you know, they would say things like, I mean, year in and year out, they would say things like, well, you know, how do I know I can trust that equipment? Or how do I know I can trust that that guy's gonna hook me up correctly? And, you know, as I got to know these guys and I knew their stories, I understood why it was that they had trouble trusting because they had been let down so many times in their life that it was hard for them to trust, to trust equipment or to trust a person. And so this leader several years ago, he had a guy probably similar to one of my guys and who was scared to death of the ropes course. And he was up on the ropes course and <clears throat> couldn't move on. He was almost frozen. And so this leader was trying to be a good leader. And so he was trying to, you know, tell him he had nothing to be afraid of. And this is a diagram of how they connect the wire to the pole. So the wire goes around the pole and then that top green uh, uh, clasp, you know, is what holds the wire to the pole. And then that second one is, you know, there's that little tail left. And so that second one is just to hold the tail down so it doesn't, you know, poke somebody in the eye. And so this leader is trying to be a good leader and he's trying to explain to this guy, no, you have nothing to worry about. This, this equipment is great, it'll hold you. And so he takes his carabiner and hooks it onto this wire and then proceeds to fall back so he can see that this has no trouble holding you, right? The problem was he clipped in between the two green clasps. And so that second green clasp isn't meant to hold, it just holds the tail in and so it came out and he fell and died. And so now all of a sudden, this kid who was already scared to death of being in the ropes course, it's over, right? I mean, there's no way you're getting him to go through a ropes course because he absolutely does not trust that equipment. 
So trust is complicated because it takes into account our past and the things that have affected us to this point. It takes into account what we're seeing in front of us, right? And the, the people or the, the equipment that we are looking at in front of us. And it takes into account our own personalities. You know, you think of Tara and, you know, she had every reason to, you know, based on her uh, upbringing to have a sense of being able to trust these people that, they're, that, are, that are there, her dad's there. So, but, you know, her own uh, fear of heights has to enter into that. So there's lots of things that enter in when we start talking about trust. And so today, as we read this account between Mary and the angel Gabriel, uh, Mary's challenged to trust. So will you read with me as we begin here in verse 26? It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so I, I think as, as an angel, as God is calling Mary to trust, I think there's at least three ways that, that God is calling her to trust and that she has to learn to trust. And I think it's a great illustration or a great reminder for us today. And the first one is simply this. God's calling her to trust his voice. Luke 1, 28 says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. There's a popular uh, devotional out right now called uh, Jesus Calling. And I think the reason it's so popular is that we all want to hear God's voice, right? I mean, I think, honestly, even people who would say, I'm not even sure I believe in God, they would say, but I'd love to hear his voice, right? And then for us who would, you know, say we are believers, absolutely, we want to hear God's voice. But the thing is, I think there are things that get in the way of us hearing God's voice, at least hearing it clearly. And I want to talk about a few of those challenges to hearing God's call or God's voice in our life. The first one is simply this. We aren't grounded in the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are rounding, we are coming near the end of 2016 and getting ready to enter 2017. And here's what I can tell you for sure. Pastor Jim is going to be talking to you about getting into God's word in the year 2017. And I'm encouraging you to do that because we wanna hear God's voice, but part of hearing God's voice is we need to be grounded in God's word. That's part of how God delivers his voice. And so if you really wanna hear God's voice, then make it a commitment this year to get into God's word. Second challenge we run into is we don't know what we're listening for, or I might add, or who we are listening to. 
John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Okay, so I'm gonna get myself in a little trouble right now. No sending me hate mail, okay? Just listen, hear me out on this. I'm, I'm not saying this is how you should handle it. I'm just gonna explain how we handle it. One of the controversial topics at Christmas is Santa. And what do we do with Santa? And I just want you to know, like in our home, we've just never really gotten all jammed up about Santa or the Easter Bunny, all right? And the reason is simply this, because Santa's not in the Bible, right? Neither is Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader or any of those guys. And so one day it's easy for us to tell our kids, guess what? You know, that's all just make-believe fantasy to tell a story or whatever. I'll tell you what concerns me way more than Santa at Christmas time or any other time is how we handle things that are actually real, right? Things that are actually in the Bible. You know, this is that Christmas season and you're gonna see pictures of all sorts of things. Well, one of the things you're gonna see lots of pictures of is pictures of angels like this one. See, I think if this angel had shown up, Mary would have been like, oh, aren't you just the cutest little thing? <laughs> now, I, I have no idea if what the skit guys presented here and last week is anywhere close to accurate, but I'll tell you what, it's closer than this, right? Because everywhere I see angels in the Bible, I hear the words, do not be afraid, fear not. Why? Because angels are awesome. It's why I appreciate our friends at, at Answers in Genesis, you know, when they got on us about how we depicted the ark. You know, we always see pictures of the ark that look like this. And the problem is if we raise our kids with this as the ark, eventually they go, okay, that doesn't make any sense. So then is this fantasy? Is this just make-believe? Right? So I'm way more concerned with how we handle things that are true because here's the deal. At some point... Uh, when our kids are listening for the voice of God, when we're listening for the voice of God, I want to make sure that the voice, the God that they are listening to, that they're listening for, belongs to the God that spoke the world into existence. That that voice that they're listening to, that we're listening to, is the voice that created everything that you and I see today. That it's the voice of the God that put Noah and his family and two of every kind on an ark for over a year that it's the voice of a God that parted the Red Sea and then drowned the entire Egyptian army in that same water. That it's the voice of the God that told Joshua to march around a city and then without firing a shot, drop the mighty walls of the mighty city of Jericho. That it's the voice of the God that caused the sun to stand still so that Joshua could win a battle. That it's the voice of the God that had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. See, that's the voice I want to make sure my kids hear. That's the voice I want to make sure that I'm hearing when I'm listening for the voice of God. And the reason is because that's a voice that I can trust. That's a voice that I can put my trust in. Another challenge we run into is just our own sin nature. We're selfish. Parents, any of you ever ask your kids to do something only to have them pretend they don't hear you? Or is it just my kids? Right? Well, guess what? We do the same thing. God's talking to us and we're going, nah, 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 nah. Because we don't want to hear what he has to say. Because what he's asking of us is too uncomfortable. Because what he's asking us to do, we don't want to do. We're selfish. 
So our own sin nature gets in the way oftentimes of us hearing God's voice. Another challenge is we're looking in the wrong place, or I might say, or the wrong way. This is a picture of Yuri Gagarin, a Russian cosmonaut. And if you're Russian and I just butchered that name, I, my apologies. 1961, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev, he defiantly declared that his cosmonaut, Yuri, had been to space and back and did not see God. Therefore, there is no God. So the New York, a New York magazine asked C.S. Lewis to respond to uh, Khrushchev's statement. And here's what C.S. Lewis said. You gotta love C.S. Lewis. Looking for God or heaven by exploring space is like reading or seeing all of Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as one of the characters or Stratford as one of the places. Shakespeare is in one sense present at every moment in every play, but he is never present in the same way as Falstaff or Lady Macbeth, nor is he diffused through the play like some gas. Right, so as you're watching the Shakespeare play, you, absolutely it's filled with Shakespeare because he wrote it, but you're not gonna see Shakespeare in the play. And then he goes on, he says, if there were an idiot who thought plays exist on their own without an author, our belief in Shakespeare would not be much affected by his saying, quite truly, that he had studied all the plays and never found Shakespeare in them. In other words, he calls him an idiot. I won't say that. I'll just say some guy says, you know what? I don't think anyone wrote this play. I think it just happened. If that guy who believes that said, you know what, I've actually gone to every play that Shakespeare wrote and I didn't see Shakespeare in any of those. Would we then go, oh, well then you must be right. There must be no Shakespeare. No. And yet that's exactly what we do with God. Because somebody says, well, I don't see God, therefore he must not exist. We go, oh, oh, I got to think about that. See, God's here, but you don't look for him in space. He's not a mist that's covering everything. But that doesn't mean we stop seeking him. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then I love this quote by Abraham Kuyper. He says, there's not a single square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. So as you're watching this play, don't look, God's not in the play. God wrote the play. He, he is sovereign over all of it. And if you're looking for him as a character like in a Shakespeare play, then you're looking in the wrong way. But of course, that brings us to the second thing that we're to trust, which is the Incarnation. Verse 35 says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. John 1.14 said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, okay? But I, there were years where I would be sitting there in the audience listening to a preacher or listening to a speaker and they'd be talking about the incarnation and how important the incarnation is and on the outside I'm like yeah the incarnation that is so important on the inside I'm like what in the ham sandwich is incarnation <laughs> so on the off chance that there's somebody out here that is like me and is like I had no idea what does that mean incarnation 
it's, it's some pretty flower? The definition is simply this, a person or thing regarded as embodying or exhibiting some quality, idea, or the like. My one football analogy, Marshawn Lynch is the incarnation of power running. There you go. Like how I got that in there. So in other words, Marshawn Lynch embodies the idea of power running. So a person, Jesus, embodying God. Jesus is the incarnation of God. God with skin on, God in a bod. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. See, virtually every other religion is man reaching for God or man pointing to God, pointing to truth, saying, there it is. Confucius, Buddha, even Joseph Smith are all pointing to something, saying, that's it. See, only Jesus pointed at himself and said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, only Jesus stood up and said, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. All the others point at something else. And I, you might be sitting out there going, well, I can stand up and say I'm, you know, so what? He said he's God. And you're right, because I mean, I could do the same thing. I could stand up here and say, hey guys, search is over. I'm here. It's me, God. The problem is some of you know me. And my wife got home from Nashville last night and she really knows me. See, Jesus pointed at himself and then proceeded to walk closely with his disciples and with these people that followed him, exhibiting for us the incarnation of God. All others point to a tomb with a leader in it. We point to a tomb that's empty. So this incarnation, it's simple, but it's not easy. C.S. Lewis, he also used this illustration of Dante and Dante's divine comedy, which I have not read. So if you're an English major, don't get mad at me if I butcher this. But the idea, the general idea is this. Dante, the poet, writes this story, but he has Dante as one of the characters in the story. And so one of the interesting twists to think about or consider is that as the characters in the story are interacting with Dante, the character, they don't realize that they're talking to actually the person that's also writing the story and determining the outcome of the story. And that's not perfect. I mean, all analogies break down at some point, but it's a good illustration. See, Jesus is both a character in his story and he's the writer of that story. I mean, think of it this way. There were people that were walking alongside Jesus, talking with Jesus, and they had no idea that this person that they're talking to is also the person writing the story. See, it's like a Shakespeare play where he's written himself into one of his plays. Which brings us then to the third thing that I think we are to trust, that Mary had to trust, and that's this, that he has written us into his story. Verse 38 says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So not only has God written himself into his story, Gabriel tells Mary that all of this that God is going to do, and in essence tells her that he has now written you into his story. Read the book of Acts. God has written Paul and Silas and Barnabas, the disciples, Mary Magdalene. He's written all of them into his story. 
Well, guess what? He's written you and I into his story as well. Think about Mary. She gets this overwhelming news from the angel, Gabriel. Verse 39, it says that she arose and she went with haste into the hill country. She wanted to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And it says that when Mary walked in carrying the baby Jesus, Elizabeth, who was carrying the baby John the Baptist, tells her that the baby jumped, leaped in her womb at the presence of Mary and the Christ child. And so Mary, as she's hearing this from her cousin and considering what the angel said, she's just overwhelmed as she recognizes that God is writing her into his story. And so she breaks out into a song of praise. We know it as the Magnificent because it begins with the words, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, obviously, Mary had this reality of carrying the Christ child in her womb. But when you and I recognize that God is writing us into his story, we too will be able to proclaim, my soul magnifies the Lord. When was the last time that you acknowledged all that God was doing in your life? When was the last time you took time to acknowledge that God was writing you into his story so you too can say, my soul magnifies the Lord? This call of Christmas includes a call to trust. Trust in the voice of God. Trust in the incarnation of God. And trust that God has written you into his story. And I've written a few next steps there for you. The first one is simply this. I'm going to commit to reading the Bible blank number of minutes, blank times a week. I would love to have just filled that out and said, you're going to read it 30 minutes a day, seven days a week. But I know this as the reality. Some of you probably haven't broken open your Bible in a long time. And so I'm encouraging you, then just start somewhere. Read for a few minutes, a couple times a week if you have to. If you have been reading regularly, but not as regular, regularly as you'd like, then set a goal to read more. Okay, but make a commitment to do something. Because remember, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. If you want to hear God's voice, get grounded in God's word. Second, I will put my trust in Jesus. If you haven't already put your trust in Jesus, then I'm asking this in the stillness of these next several minutes. If you hear God's voice, then answer. What a great day to say yes to Jesus. And then the third one there is this week, I will write out my story. You guys, it is so encouraging to hear other people's stories. You know, think about all the baptisms that we've been hearing or been watching. You know, the baptism's great. I mean, it's fun to see them, you know, get wet. But honestly, hearing their story is what's awesome, right? To hear how, you know, their life journey has happened and how God has intervened in their life. To hear them say, in essence, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what's encouraging. Reengage. We get so encouraged as couples stand up and share their journeys. Talk about some of the hard places that they've run into and then talk about how God has intervened. It's just so encouraging. And so your story is encouraging too, but you've got to write it. You've got to share it. And so I'm going to encourage you to write your story. And if you're a parent, I would tell you this, if for no other reason, so that you can hand it off to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids so that someday they can read that and go, oh man, that's what Papa thought. That's Papa's story. That's Grandma's story. So write your story out. And if nothing else, at the very least, just share it with your family. 
but we'd love to see it. Send it to us too. And then I gave you a couple of D6 questions. And remember, D6 is just simply that Deuteronomy 6. These are some questions that if you have kids, just to, uh, we want you to be the first and best discipler of your kids. And so these are just a couple of questions you can ask maybe as you're sitting around the dining room table or driving your kids off to school. Just ask the question, what, is the, what does the word incarnation mean? Man, I wish somebody would have asked me that one-on-one a long time ago. It would have saved a lot of trouble for me as I sat there confused, not understanding what was, what was being talked about. And then the second one, just simply, why is the incarnation so important? Will you pray with me? Father God, thanks so much for the incarnation that you came that first Christmas morning, uh, Lord, uh, as that little baby. And we are so grateful that because of that, we have an opportunity to see, uh, to see God, to know God, to understand uh, more about you. So thank you. And uh, God, this morning, I just pray that you would help each one of us to grow in our ability to trust you uh, with our life and trust you with every part of our life. We love you and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.